Hype Beast Radio. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is the Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Hey, listeners, it's Jeff Staple here. And I know, I know, Business of Hype has taken a bit of a hiatus. But you know, with a worldwide pandemic and all, traveling and meeting up with inspiring people is extremely challenging. I tried doing a few call-in episodes, and to me, they just weren't the same. So I decided to put the Business of Hype on pause until we could get all these problems sorted out. Now, occasionally, the stars do align and I find myself in situations where I can safely sit down and actually interview someone. For example, on a big budget production shoot where everyone is screened and rapid tested and living in a COVID-free bubble. And it just so happened that I found myself in said situation, bubbled up with this week's guest. So anyway, hopefully this doesn't mean it's the be all end all for the podcast and when the opportunities do present themselves i can still record an episode so i'm happy to say that we are back for a very special one-off show so today's guest and i have had the opportunity to become really close working partners over the past year and it's been an honor his resume is impressive to say the least From being the senior correspondent on The Daily Show, to speaking at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, to his own comedy special and weekly Netflix show called The Patriot Act, to even being named Time's 100 Most Influential People in the World, Hassan Minhaj is a pioneer. By trade, he's a comedian, a producer, writer, political commentator, actor, TV host, and now a shoe designer. The reason why this episode came to life was because Hassan and I worked together, along with my creative team at the Reed Art Department, to create his very first footwear collaboration with Cole Hahn. Together, we worked with Hassan from concepting to design to marketing and to sales. Now, you might be thinking, wait, Cole Hahn? I've seen the Patriot Act, and Hassan is quite a sneakerhead himself, wearing the latest Nike Sakai's or Air Jordans, I even saw him on Complex's sneaker shopping. But what you may not know is that Cole Hahn is almost like Hassan's lucky rabbit foot. It was a pair of Cole Hans that he wore to his audition for The Daily Show, and that same pair that he wore to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and that same pair to his wedding. So this limited edition collaboration isn't just between any brand and any comedian. It comes with a deeper story of Hassan's life. If you've watched his Netflix special, Homecoming King, you may be familiar with his early life growing up as a brown kid in an immigrant household in suburban Davis, California. Hassan's career is a testament to breaking rules and then writing new ones. So my dad marries my mom. They come to the States, they have me in Davis, California, but my mom, she has to go back to India to finish up med school. So the first eight years of my life, it was just me and my dad. It was just the two of us, just two brown dudes trying to make it in America, minus all the unconditional love. I gotta be real. Uh, you gotta be real. Brown love is very conditional. Like, you can't hear this in the photo, but he's like, you better get all A's. You can't hear that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's be real. 
I grew up here, like Pioneer, Holmes. I like, I grew up here. Davis was like super white, like kind of, I see, it's kind of like tonight. Uh... From Bollywood inspiration to his father's teachings to key dates in his career, this collaboration brings to life Hassan's own personal journey. So when it came down to this opportunity, Hassan knew it was the right fit. Kolhan embodies what it means to write new rules and give people the confidence to do it themselves. Whether that's an audition, a late-night talk show, or speaking at the White House. This episode comes just in time before Hassan's next collection that actually drops tomorrow, December 3rd. So after listening to the episode, make sure you go to kolhan.com and check out the entire collection. Now let's get into this very special episode with the very smart and the very funny Hassan Minhaj. Yo, this has been uh, quite an experience, man. I, I think one of the most sacred things you could do with someone is actually go to their hometown, the home they grew up in, the yeah. school that they went to. It's so rare to get opportunities like that. Yeah. And it just so happened this week, we are in Sacramento, California, Yeah. particularly Davis. Yeah, the right? town that I grew up in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and we're here, and I got to see everything that you went through as a child, as a young buck. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's dope. Well, before we get too far, first introduce yourself properly. Who do we have in the studio today? Yeah, I'm Hassan Menhaj. I'm a comedian and writer. And uh, yeah, I got to collaborate with the Jeff Staple. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, it's cool because um, we obviously got to collaborate on the project. And then this podcast is actually happening at like the culmination yes tail end we're like at the five yard line at a, of a project right but do you know what this feels like right now for those of you guys who are listening we just wrapped kind of the what would you call today today was the content creation storytelling yeah yeah kind of like the commercial day where you yeah. do all the videography and the photography Photos, yep. and you see the product and yeah you you ideate and you put the whole concept together yeah to me this feeling right now while we're recording this is 10 minutes after the show literally it feels like that it is 10 minutes after like you just finished being in front of the white psych yeah and it's 10 minutes um and the storytelling you know people need to understand that it is so important because we've spent the last year yeah. right literally from the first time we met at the Colhan mm -hmm. office to ideation sample reviews zooms global pandemics yeah FedExing swatches back and forth to each other, yeah. right? To this, if you don't bring it home here at the five yard line, all that work is just like, wait, what did you guys do? I don't even understand that. What, what's going on? Right. You have to tell the story here. And wow. it's so important to like button it up right now. And you've been on shoots where the person that you're collaborating with will come in and phone it in. They're yeah. showing up late or yep. high or whatever. And it doesn't matter how dope the product is because if the story's not told properly, then it yeah. falls flat. Yeah. So. Wow, we... it's so crazy that we see eye to eye. To yeah. me, it was all about this. Really? For for real, for real. You were you were expecting this and like anticipating this. Yeah, because being at The Daily Show, what you realize is that, you know, that was my comedy undergrad. Mm -hmm. And whenever you do a field piece, field pieces are basically when you sit down and you interview somebody. Yes. People always ask, they're like, hey, when you sat down with that senator, did they, did they really say that? And you're like, yeah, you sat down with them for three hours. Uh-huh. And you wear them down to the point where you're like, no, 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 no don't do the talking point. I don't want to hear the talking point. Right. And what you're trying to do is find a moment, mm -hmm. like a capital M moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
what we recorded today, there were so many moments where I was showing you stuff with my family, me growing up. The thing I kept kind of checking in on is that Daily Show Patriot Act part of my brain kept going, did we get the moment? Mm -hmm. Like I'm in the moment, but I'm also like, is this coherent? Did it happen? Yeah, Yeah. This means the world to me. This house that I grew up in means everything to me. Is that translating? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So you have to be, but because you're the talent and you're in front of the camera, in front of the mic, you have to be cognizant that you're hitting your marks on camera. But then also you have to be the kid watching this on YouTube on the other side to make sure he's seeing it. Yes. As well. Yes. Man. So I, I equate like doing good interviews almost like sparring. Like you said three hours and wearing him down. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah, you're just like, you know, jabbing, jabbing. And then you're just waiting for him to be like, boom. And then it's <laughs> like, you know, like I gotcha. Yeah. The key is this is you have to get them to agree with a premise, mm-hmm. meaning you're talking to somebody and I introduce an insane hypothetical. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like. Yeah, Jeff, it's kind of like if we were on Mars and we decided to dunk a basketball, you have to pick up that premise and be like, yeah. So if I'm on Mars and I dunk this basketball, the way I feel about you have to continue. That makes Mm -hmm. anytime that happens in a field interview. Yeah. You have magic. Uh Uh-huh. Usually what ends up happening is somebody will say a sentence. I will make a proposition. Yeah. And then you'll be like, yeah, I'm just waiting for my turn to speak. Mm-hmm. So it it comes off as incongruous in right. the edit. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I could hear conversations where it's just like, yeah, when you finish, I'm going to say my point. It doesn't have to do anything with the thing that you just said. I just yeah. want to get my point across. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not a good interview. It was wild seeing you out there because I was like, oh, Jeff's a director. Mm. You know, you were calling for like reshoots or mm-hmm. pickups. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's get it this way. Let's do it this way. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved is that... Um, Seeing your attention to detail was really dope to see Mm. that you still care about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, Sacramento is not a cool place (laughs) at all. I found the cool spots. (laughs) I found them. But for you to continue to be curious Mm. and to find these little magical moments, I think that makes that makes like creativity and building things worth it. So I'm going to add to that something that you mentioned a couple times on the shoot where you you kept using this phrase like go for the big swing and like take those chances and yeah. like speak up and just say it right yeah and it's one thing to be in a situation you're where you have the ability to express yourself creatively you're thinking something you see something and you're like oh shit this would be really dope if we did this yeah oh my god should i say something should yeah. i say it but i don't want to say it cuz there's like a lot of people here what right. if my ideas whack right. to be like Yo, Hassan, walk down that aisle, and when you go down there, I want you to rub your fingers along the, the siding and let the tree brush your hair. Yeah. Like, to say that out loud to everyone and be like, everyone's turning around like, yeah, what? that's actually a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's the other stuff. Like, you got to take that swing. Yeah. And you said that multiple times this week. Yeah, there's just little moments where, look, it can't be uncalled for, but you see the passing line, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Like, um, totally. And it's just recognizing the passing line. You can't yes. come out of nowhere and just say rub your fingers Pulling against a china the wall. shop just like yeah. Oh, shit. yeah yeah but there's always going to be that moment where everybody's like around each other there's a lull and you're like oh this is the moment david bowie said something that i really really loved and he was basically like when you're doing creative work i loved this analogy he was like try to be a little bit uncomfortable so you're leaving the shallow end and you're starting to feel your toes leave the floor <laughs> yeah when yeah. you go to the deep end don't everyone f- knows that feeling yeah, yeah don't fully go yeah just try to with that swing just have your toes leave 
mm-hmm. the Levitate. floor a little bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Right. Anytime you continue to put yourself in those situations, you're going to grow as an artist. David Bowie said that? Yeah. And that's where interesting thing ha- things yeah. happen. I'm not even, I was never a Dave Bowie head. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know his work. Right. Cause I didn't grow up knowing, I didn't have an older brother to like, kind of be like, yo, peep game. Like yeah, this is yeah. David Bowie. I was like the dude from Labyrinth. All right. So what was it like growing up here in, in Davis, California? Dude, for me, it's like the thing that I love most about the city when you're here, you're kind of like, it's really hot. It's a small town. We're a B or C market. Mm-hmm. But when you grow up, you realize, oh, I grew up in any town America. Mm-hmm. America is like this. Yes. Strip malls, cheesecake factories, macaroni grills, mm-hmm. uh, track housing, rinse, wash, repeat. Yep. Westfield Mall, track housing, <laughs> rinse, wash, repeat. Yeah. You know? And my ability to kind of grow up and be around that made me realize when I go to the suburbs of Texas mm-hmm. or Florida or Illinois, I was like, oh, every city besides the, like the eight to 10 major cities yeah. is pretty much like this. Yep. You like know what I mean? 99.5% of America is Correct. like this. Yeah. Correct. Besides San Francisco. Uh, New York and LA. Yeah. New York, LA. I would even include like um, Louisiana. Uh, New Orleans? New Orleans. Really? Okay. New Orleans is such a unique yeah, 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 it city. It is unique. Yeah. And Miami. Yeah, in Miami. Miami yeah. These are super funky, unique, weird cities. Yep. And New Orleans is one of the coolest gems, I think, in the States. Yeah, yeah. So you you tapped into the fact that you were in Davis, a.k.a. any town USA. Yeah. And so what you did here could potentially translate to anything Correct. out there. Correct. And so what, like in in middle school, in high school, when did you know that like, oh, shit, I can make people laugh. I can make people react. When did you know? Um... I was friends with a group of guys, <laughs> our, our, our crew, we had, a, it's such a stupid name, but we're called Hit Squad. And we, we still, we still are on a WhatsApp thread to this day. And it's basically my stand by me group of friends. Like, uh-huh. Hey, you want to see a dead body? Like we all mm-hmm. were little kids and we grew up together and we're still friends to this day. One of the things that I didn't realize, which is a very unique gift in comedy is heightening. Mm-hmm. Whenever we'd get in trouble, an adult or an older sibling would be like, Hey guys, what happened? You did something wrong. And everyone in Hit Squad would be like, don't let Hassan tell them what happened. He'll always make it sound crazier than what it really was. Okay. That's comedy. Comedy is taking an inane event mm-hmm. and then heightening it, mm. finding these little nooks and crannies that are interesting. Yeah. And then you increase the volume of it via hyperbole. And you've been doing that since a teen? I didn't realize that that was a thing. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. then how did you like harness that? into a craft i didn't know that was a a skill set that had value until college oh okay yeah so like you know i'm the son of you know indian immigrants like this being a skill set that is valued by society and can pay you usd currency was not a thing that we were super familiar with no and um, for any like asian immigrant family like being out there speaking in hyperbole is not how you make your living yeah totally and so um I didn't realize that until college because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with cable television in the house. Mm. So there was all this pop culture mm-hmm. that just didn't connect with me. Oh, wow. You know, I had radio, like uh-huh. mainstream radio, like 102.5 KSFM, like which Ebro used to be the DJ on, uh-huh. by the way. And um, 103.5 The Bomb, that was like the hip hop station. 
Slam Magazine. Yeah. And NBA on NBC. Like <laughs> right. those. That was culture for you. That was culture. Yeah. And I, I, I grew up during this very unique transition between the back end of Michael Jordan's career and the ascension of Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, McGrady, this new kind of era mm-hmm. of the league. Um, and then I saw the beginnings of LeBron. Yeah, too. yeah. And so those things kind of really impacted um, the way I thought about the world. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, Slam Magazine was one of the few things that got me into fashion. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like be- baller style, was yeah, it? Yeah. Because you saw, and you were a part of this movement, mm-hmm. you saw culture like in print. Yeah. And you, I didn't have to be in New York for me to understand what was happening. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when you were growing up, how much did your ethnicity and your family's background have? Because I feel like with sons of immigrant families, it's either you embrace it completely or you're sort of like shunning it. Yeah. Which side of the fence did you ride on? Yeah. So I was super on the assimilation side. Okay. And so for me, it was like fit in as much as possible. Right. And then- about 10 years into comedy, I realized authenticity and singularity is the goal. Mm-hmm. Anything that is singular or unique- To yourself. To yourself uh-huh. will immediately stand out in the marketplace. Yeah. Now, it may not work at scale. It may You may not be Katy Perry level penetration, mm-hmm. but you will mean a lot to certain people. Yeah. Do you see what I'm yep. saying? Yeah. yeah, and because of the internet, you'll probably find hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of those niche people. That love that thing. Yeah, that love that thing. Yeah. Yep. And um, it's interesting. I was going to ask you about this because, you know, what you do is creation. You create product, mm-hmm. right? But I feel like there's been this cottage industry right now that has been created around creators and commentators. And those two things have now been conflated. Yeah. Motherfuckers that are typing comments mm-hmm. think they have built something. Think they created something. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's levels to this shit. <laughs> right? And yeah. I've never drank in my life, but there's top shelf liquor and then there's <laughs> the shit at the bottom. Yeah. Commenting about movies is not creating a movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that social media has created an algorithm and incentivized commentary culture over creative culture. Yeah. And the thing that I have tried to do is be like, what are you creating? Mm-hmm. You know what I yep. mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, s- some would argue that Patriot Act is commentary to the nth degree. Correct. Right? But yes. you amplified it to this crazy yeah. level. Yes. We are commentating on the news and mm-hmm. what is happening in the world, but I am synthesizing it through a comedic take. Yep. Like- you have to write a script with jokes and it has to be 27 minutes long, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it has to be fact-driven, yeah, not bullshit. Yeah, and then you have to go find archival footage and we have art direction. Yeah. Like our graphics team was an Emmy award-winning mm-hmm. motion design and graphics yeah, team. There's you a know? symphony of visual yeah, audio. Yeah, yeah. You, even you're creating something new. Yeah. yeah. Even your facts and your script has to then be on beat with what's happening yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I give you props for what you were doing on that. It's like basically every week you were like making an album. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, our team was crazy. Like an EP every week. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> it, was crazy. it was such a wild thing. Now, let's stop here and rewind for a moment because Hassan is dropping gems here. 
I'm sure many of you listening may not be located in a major city and you're out in a suburb, just like Hassan was back in Davis with an Applebee's or a Walmart down the street and perhaps very little access to mainstream media. I mean, well, obviously it's different now today with internet and social media, but you know, being in the heart of it, you get what I mean. Not every kid is growing up in New York, Chicago, or LA. You may be out in a burb. Perhaps you even feel a bit disconnected. But it's important to realize what an advantage this could be as it was to Hassan's career. Davis, California, like most of America, was just any town USA. And that actually fueled his ability to become relatable. It even prepared him for his job at The Daily Show, where he was out in places like Kentucky or Alabama as a person of color, interviewing people on sensitive topics. This isn't a job that most people are well-equipped to handle, but perhaps Hassan was because his childhood gave him a greater perspective and understanding as to how most of America lives. If you haven't seen his Netflix comedy special, Homecoming King, I highly suggest you do so. And while I don't want to ruin the punchline of his jokes, Hassan's isolating experience growing up in a post 9-11 world in a predominantly white neighborhood is what makes his comedy that much more engaging. As Hassan says, authenticity and singularity is the goal. Anything that is singular or unique to yourself will immediately stand out. And that's exactly what Hassan did. It was never about building his career off ideas or experiences that were trendy or of the moment. He never appeased to industry standards of what was being accepted. It was always about being authentically himself and sharing his most personal experiences that resonated the most. Because oftentimes, those harrowing and isolating experiences that we go through, those are actually the things that impact our own self-identity the most. So did you come up through sort of like your standard struggling stand-up comic route? Is that the route that you took? Yeah, man. I actually came up. I wasn't a very good stand-up. And I actually still don't think I am. Mm. Pure stand-up. Meaning, set-up punch comedy is is really designed and tailored to specific types of voices. I would say, you know, comics that are incredible at that would be um, the late you know, Mitch Hedberg or, you know, somebody, a contemporary version of that is like Anthony Jeselnik or Bill Burr is a great pure standup. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gets up there and does like a five or six, seven minute comedic rant, like when Burr is full in Burr mode, all he needs is the microphone. You know, it took me kind of until 2012, 2013 when I discovered more comedic storytelling, mm-hmm. which came from Europe there's a lot of European acts that do that every year at Edinburgh, which is a big festival. Yeah. I saw people like Mike Birbiglia, Colin Quinn, these guys that would prepare these 70 minutes storytelling shows. And it wasn't until I went back into the crates that I saw that Cosby, Pryor, and now Chappelle, mm-hmm. kind of the, the really seminal stand-ups are, are just telling you a story. They're telling yeah. you a secret, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so for years, I would say probably the first 12 years or so of 10 to 12 years of stay, I kind of struggled. Uh-huh. I wasn't doing anything particularly unique. Mm-hmm. I wasn't funny per se. Like I wasn't a funny looking dude. I didn't have a funny voice. And my jokes were pretty, 
it was just a solid meh. <laughs> you know, a rock solid meh. Yeah, and this is like you're like in comedy clubs, local local comedy nights. clubs, yeah. and I and I always thought I was like, you know, why isn't this rising above the mm-hmm. two drink minimum? Why isn't it just breaking through and resonating in a way? Uh-huh. And I felt like there was just a a varnish and a sheen to it where, yeah, I was being kind of funny, but I wasn't being particularly interesting. Mm. And I think that I had to understand what my gifts were. And I think my gifts are that I am more interesting and curious than I am particularly quote unquote funny. Uh I feel like Jon Stewart is a great example of that too. He's probably the best. He is one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my Mm -hmm. life. And he's one of the most, like he's so deep. Yeah. who he is as a person. Funny is like the third or fourth most right. cool thing about John. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally, yeah. Yeah. Who observed that of you or told you that or was that a self-observation? Because that's hard. Like when you're in the eye of the storm and you're out there fighting the fight every night, Yeah. you just think like, yo, my day's going to come. My day's going to come. But somebody or you yourself was like, nah, like you have other strength. Let's pivot. Yeah, like- I was just failing a lot. I tr- I was trying to do a, a five minute set on Conan. I had sent seven audition tapes, you know, wow. over seven years. It, it ain't happening, bro. <laughs> like you just gotta understand, like it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. And you know, it's it's. I still have the Vimeo, like Hassan Conan audition seven dot mov. You know, and like right. you see the dates, and you're just like, some of them didn't even have a view. Like the Booker didn't even watch them. <laughs> you're like, oh and you're God. like, I'll be back next year. You know. Right. And um. A really good friend of mine, uh-huh. um, having good good people around you, this is where I think it's pure luck. Prashanth, who's the co-creator of Patriot Act, he's the co-creator, the showrunner. We met at the same time and we were at the same point in our lives at the same time mm-hmm. around 2010, 2011. And in 2012, I started telling him these stories about when I was growing up. And he was like, that's really interesting, man. That's the most interesting thing about you. Yeah. And that's really funny, too. Uh-huh. The way you're telling the story is really funny. Your cadence, your delivery, do that. Right. And I just started working from there. And I had to let go of ego. Yeah. Like, I had to let go of the idea that I was going to be this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I was going to be this guy in the comedy clubs and it would I would be the funniest guy. I had to be like, no, I'm going to play my instrument a completely different way. Right, right. And that was a humbling thing. Yeah. And- Accepting that is huge. Yeah, accepting that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm 35 now. I have to accept the idea, too, that when I first got to L.A. in 2009, there was this idea that you're supposed to book a pilot and you'll be on a sitcom and you'll be on a TV show and it's going to be successful. And that's how you become a successful comedian. Mm -hmm. And I had to accept, like, I'm in my mid-30s now. The idea of me being, like, a TV, young TV star, that's Mm -hmm. over, bro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. it's There's there's an analogy for that for my business, right? Because- Rising designers are like CFDA, Anna Wintour with The Blessing, Paris Fashion Week with The Runway Show, Gigi Hadid is leading you. And like that's the sort of gold standard of what you're supposed to be if you're a fashion designer. Yeah. And there was a revelation at some point in my career where I was like, Jeff, Staple is not getting there. Doesn't mean you have to pack it up and go home, but you just have to find a different lane yeah. and redefine what success means basically to you. Right. Yeah. For me, it was really like... There was this documentary that Gary Shandling did, uh, Judd Apatow directed, it was about comedy, but they went into Shandling's diary and he just said, I use comedy as a way to learn more about myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if that's the goal, 
that this is just a lifelong mission to understand more about myself. Yeah. Every hour that I do is mm-hmm. just this journey to figure out more about yeah, us. You. Yeah. Yeah. Then all that other stuff is, is frankly irrelevant. Right. How did you, did, did that hurt? Yeah, it did. There was a, I would imagine you might've gone through the same thing. There was many years of like, why not me? Right. Like I work my ass off. I'm good. People support and buy my shit. So why isn't these gatekeepers of the culture sort of anointing me? But meanwhile, yeah. there's all these other people like I'm selling out shows, you know, like yeah. I'm doing all this stuff. But like, why ain't I getting into that sort of like upper echelon? Right. And after a while, I was just like, I'm good, you know? And then the other, I have to say like the other- But then also none of it means anything either. I know. Meaning, you know, a Patriot Act won an Emmy and a Peabody. Mm-hmm. It's also canceled. <laughs> Those, you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. At right. the same time, it was canceled, but it also meant a lot of things to a certain group of people. A lot of people, and that's cool too. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That that like that um, what is that? Joy and anger. It's it's like that juxtaposition. Beaut- that juxtaposition yeah. of like that is fucking awesome, and that also sucks and makes the, the awesome irrelevant. Right. But that kind of is like, oh, none of it matters. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know what I, you, yeah. You, you, know you what want I mean? an Emmy. You want a Peabody. Seriously, and like you could argue, Netflix is the Anna Wintour. Sure. Right. It's just like ding. Yeah. And they yeah. gave me a shot, and that's awesome too. And like, when you when you end up thinking about it, you're just like, but all of it was great. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. All of yeah. it. It was great and meaningful. Right. Right. And like, it's the it was the fact that it meant something to people. That's what really matters. Mm-hmm. But so when you were going through that, right? Yeah. Like, was it? Um, w- was it years of bitterness or was it yes, just like, years of bitterness? Wow. Good five years of bitterness and not hardcore bitterness. Like where I'm in a room crying, still working, still grinding, still thinking I can get it. Yeah. And then you sort of come to that realization that you're, you're not going to get there. And then you say like, let me pivot. But then as any creative, you're going to ask yourself, wait, am I in denial here? Like, you know, like, am I talking myself out of it? You know, like what if, what if Anna Wintour was two phone calls away from calling me? And then that's when I decided to pack it up, you know? Yeah. So there's that sort of denial, but yeah, it was, it was years of that. And I think I, I still wear a lot of that chip on my shoulder. And when I see a lot of companies who did get the Anna Wintour blessing and the CFDA blessing and the Paris fashion show are now out of business and we're still going, like, yeah. I feel a little bit better. <laughs> I hate yeah, to say it, but totally. like, it's like, yeah, I'm still here, motherfuckers, you know? Yeah, but there was also these, like, it was supposed to be that golden goose. It's supposed to mean something. Yeah. I remember I hosted the CFDA Awards, like, two years ago. They asked me to, me and, like, Shit. Jessica Williams. Is that a big deal? Yeah. No, come on. <laughs> it didn't mean anything to me. Uh-huh. They were like, you should do it. And I'm like, cool, I yeah. should do it. They're like, you wear funky costumes and yeah. you make jokes. I made jokes. I bombed. I fucking ate it. I thought the jokes were great, but they weren't having it. Right. That being said, I remember there was like a review of the evening. Uh-huh. And the reviewer was actually pretty kind to my jokes. It was like, hey, he, he made some pretty compelling points. Mm. But the person asked a very compelling question at the end of the review of the whole thing. And they said, one of the weirdest things that that entire award show didn't do was address the idea that Global warming is happening. We are buying more shit than ever before. Mm -hmm. Does any of this shit fucking matter? Mm -hmm. Like, how many different pairs of off-whites do you need? Yeah. And that is a very, like, real thing, like, rubber meets the road tangible question that 
to me as a comedian, I love that. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, that's the beginning of the whole conversation. <laughs> and that's what you brought up? Yeah, just stuff like, <laughs> what what does any of this matter? Like, right. you know, I was just kind of poking fun at the night too, yeah, you yeah. know? Right. And and um, I think anytime you take yourself too seriously or you're not willing to ask yourself those questions, like, mm-hmm. you're totally. like, You're drinking yeah. your own Kool-Aid. Yeah. 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 Whether it's fashion, art, music, comedy, really anything, there's always tears to things. Hassan realized after years of struggling that he probably wasn't going to be the next Dave Chappelle. And as I mentioned myself, I realized in my own career that I wasn't going to be the next CFDA award-winning brand. But it's important to remember that just because there is that 1% of the upper echelons, the Richard Pryors, the Anna Wintours, Whoever it is that's in that top tier that you're trying to get approval from, it doesn't mean that you won't find massive success in your own lane. Let's look at Hassan's career. He said he struggled for 12 years and sent over seven audition tapes to Conan O'Brien before realizing that it's just not going to work out. But rather than giving up, he pivoted. He let go of his ego and approached his work differently. He found what worked for him and then honed his craft, excelled in it, and it was through finding his own lane that he was able to make the biggest impact. He had to learn to play his instrument in a completely different way. Just because the gatekeepers of the culture don't accept you, doesn't mean that you won't be successful. Even after Hassan achieved the acclaim from his Netflix deal and won multiple awards, his show Patriot Act still got canceled. And I love how this brings into questions like, does it even matter? Who are we doing this for? Why are we doing this? It's important to stop, reflect, and ask yourself these questions, and most importantly, to not always take yourself too seriously. What about, um, I'm going to assume that one of the most pivotal moments in your career was The Daily Show. Sure. Talk about pre-Daily Show you trying to maybe get on it or what you were doing to prep yourself for it and then the interview process. Yeah. So, you know, um, for my audition, I had been doing stand up 10 years, one month and nine days at that point. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy that I still counted it, but wow. it was such a moment in my life. Because, and you remember the day that yeah. you also got the audition. Yeah. Okay. And I remember calling my Damn. friends that I came up with uh-huh. and they, they were like, wow, it was just a feeling of, you know, really what it was. And, and I, and I, <laughs> when John retired, I wrote him a letter just saying, thank you. Really what it was, was I was like, oh, you might, bro, you might have health insurance for the rest of your life because of this decision. <laughs> like really it was that, it was the idea <laughs> of like, yeah. man, you might not have to steal chicken fingers from the comedy clubs that you're performing at to be like, yo, can I get some of these to go? And like, I'll make a sandwich out of the chicken fingers later. It (laughs) was just the feeling of, um, and this is a feeling a lot of people have when you're trying to make it in a creative endeavor of, can I survive? Like, will my boat actually be afloat? And Mm -hmm. can I just last this long journey? Yeah. Not even move fast, just float. That's it. Like, will I get evicted? You don't got to worry about that anymore. Yeah. And that that's what he gave me. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, I, I was like, you gave me oxygen. You need some of that oxygen to be able to breathe and not worry. That's yeah. a percentage of brain space. You yep, know? Yep. And but prior to that, how long were you trying for that? So this is the, uh, we, we talk about the window. 
Michael Che, this is all because of his <laughs> desire to go back to SNL. He got an offer to go back to SNL. You know, those there's only like five correspondents in the show at any given period of time. Mm-hmm. So he wants he wanted to go back to SNL and had a weekend update. Mm-hmm. He got to, you know, yep. host weekend update. They needed a correspondent. And I remember just emailing my manager at the time being like, I got to audition for this. I think I could really do this. And it was one of those things where it wasn't just I want this. Mm-hmm. I felt like all my skill sets were uniquely positioned for that moment for, for it to be like, oh, I'm in a class of one, maybe three people. Uh-huh. Right. And that's recognizing now that regular stand-up comedy hitting jokes was not like your forte. No. Yeah. Okay. No. And there but was this felt you felt like this is my forte. It was like this. What you really gotta do, like when you talk about these level up moments in life, it's putting yourself in a class of three. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is there is something that needs to be done. There is a job opportunity. If you really are going to be primed for that, the class of people that can get it done and be hired to do it is probably maybe three to four. If it's a very coveted thing. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, who's going to direct the next Batman? Mm-hmm. It usually comes down to that list yeah. of people that can do it, mm-hmm. meaning they have the credibility, they have the previous credits, they have done a big or indie type movie that yeah. they have been able to translate story in it, right? And they're kind of hot at that time. Mm-hmm. It's it's a list of five to 10, right. right? In this scenario, I was like, okay, put yourself in the situation. Look at the way your hair is. Look at the way you look in it. You look like an Indian news reporter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look at the way your hair How is. many, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they, right. need a, they, need, they need to, like, out of their cast, they need to kind of diversify the cast uh-huh. a little bit. So you're in a very unique, you're in a class of two, three. Right. Right. You know what I mean? When you actually audition for this thing and you already kind of do, you have this natural inclination to break down the news and you have this poli sci background and you love speech and debate. Like, and I was doing these YouTube videos where I would kind of look to camera and do these rants. Mm-hmm. Those are correspondent chats. Yeah. And so it all coalesced in that moment. I was in a class of maybe three to five people, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And I'm sure you've had moments like that in your career mm-hmm. where they're like this coveted collaboration needs to happen yeah in the people that have been able to do it uh-huh do it at scale do it within budget do it effectively are competent yeah. and just respect it right that list gets narrowed down to five yeah it's not like one in a million it's right. one in now five at this so point. did the did the interview process go that easily like where you just got it like that um you felt like you aced it i was nervous uh-huh. i was definitely nervous but i remember the thing i'm proudest of the most is it was the swing. Mm-hmm. There were a couple moments where the producer before I went on was like, don't make fun of John. Don't make fun of him. Right. And the, I really believed in the joke. He had just put out this movie called Rosewater. And I was like, oh, this means a lot to the teacher. Uh-huh. This is his movie. Yeah. If I poke fun at the movie. Uh-huh. It could also sink your ass though. Yeah. This is where like you talk about either, David Bowie levitating, yeah, right? It'll like, either make me or break me. But one of the things just my gut was telling me about John, his biggest gift is that he's able to laugh at himself. He does not take himself that seriously. Yeah. He's really great in that way. And so I was like, I know y'all are scared, but I actually think that like my big ass eyes and my goofy ass smile will play to my advantage. Uh-huh. This kind of like Indian boy band look, yeah. I come off as non-threatening. Mm-hmm. So I can zing the boss yeah. and I won't look like an a-hole. Mm-hmm. And so I went for it. Yeah. And then John laughed. And then everybody in the studio during the screen test started laughing. That's awesome. And to me, that was everything. Yeah. 
those three seconds were everything. Yeah, he you covered went for his mouth and he started laughing. <laughs> and there was this feeling of like, I told y'all, like I told you. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt like almost like a cornerback. Mm-hmm. I had picked the ball off and I'm like, I'm running up the sidelines. I'm taking right. it touchdown, Deion That's Sanders so style, you know? What a so what did your parents think when you got this huge gig finally? Yeah, they were just so relieved because Well, first, was it up until that point? They were like, what are you doing with your life? It was bad, man. It was, it was that, really right? bad. Yeah, we weren't on good speaking terms. Uh-huh. It was really caustic, you know? It yeah. wasn't It wasn't a good vibe. And I understand. It's a case of 100%, 100%. They're 100% right. <laughs> you know, where is this going? Uh-huh. That yeah. is a true question. <laughs> a, <laughs> right. Very, right. a very logical question yeah. to ask. I've seen the punchline next to the mattress yeah. store. Like, that's where you were like working. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is going somewhere, you know? <laughs> And for me, it was like, why would I go? I've been fired from every other job I ha- I've had. You know, like I've been fired from Office Max, Safeway. Every job I've had, I've been <laughs> fired at. I'll just be a Diet Pepsi version of this other guy named Hassan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who really wants to be an attorney, who really wants to go to law school. I'm not going to be that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be this whack version of that. That's a true argument as well. What it did for me with my parents was it just legitimized what I did. John was very uniquely positioned. The Daily Show in the Venn diagram of things that our parents care about. (laughs) You know, in show business, you get things that are either funny or meaningful. Very rarely they're both. Right. This was both. Yes. So, you know, my dad was like, John is classy. That means something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Versus like, I was in the hangover and- yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I was, but I had to run across the mall butt naked. Right, right. He would have been like even more embarrassed, but like yeah. the bag might have been bigger, but he would have been like my son. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> head in and shame. It wa- and it wasn't about the bag. Like the bag was from Comedy Central. It wasn't a bag. <laughs> you know what I mean? It no. was. It was just a consistent little check where you could pay the rent. You know, but uh-huh. um, yeah, and yeah, man. I, you know what I loved most about even that was that it also gave me like a little game that I could play with myself. Mm-hmm. Like the game was for me, I want to get as many field pieces on the air as possible. Mm -hmm. Like I will do anything to get on the show. And that little, like these little things were really good for me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And then how did, let's move into the Netflix conversation now. How did that pivot happen? That was another sort of passing lane moment. Okay. A series of events had unfolded in real time Mm -hmm. where there was a window and I could feel it. You know, I was at the Daily Show. I had done a thing called the Congressional Correspondence Dinner in 2016 yep. it was just for congress it's like the b version of the of white house the white house correspondence yeah. which you also did yeah i did that and it went viral uh-huh. like i really took it seriously yeah this was on like c-span four you know <laughs> but it went viral i was like this could be something and again i i, I just felt like i was uniquely positioned for it like mm-hmm. i can put on a tux i look good behind a podium and i can be funny and mm-hmm. talk about politics in a very meaningful way yeah I, I, i'm I think I'm in a class of maybe five to 10 people that can really do this effectively. Right. It goes great. Mm-hmm. The WHCA sees that and they asked me to do the correspondence turn in 2017. Mm-hmm. At that same time, that year, I also recorded my Netflix comedy special, Homecoming King, okay. which was based on a storytelling show that I had done off Broadway at the Cherry Lane Theater. Both of those things came out that year. Mm-hmm. In 2017, I did the White House Correspondence Dinner. That kind of just catapulted me to national attention. Yeah. Everybody saw it. It was one of those things where you talk about di- distribution, just uh-huh. it was in everybody's phone and newsfeed for a day. Yeah. You know, maybe a few days. Right. And then the special came out 
uh, a couple months later. Mm -hmm. And that showed a completely different side of me. Yeah. Homecoming King was like my personal life story. And having both of those out there, yeah. out there, you could see me paint in these two very different colors, put me in this situation where I got asked, mm -hmm. hey, what do you want to do? And I knew I had this window. I'm like, I'm the new kid now. Yeah. There's this newfound attention on me. And I remember calling Prashant and I'm like, we have six months to make something happen. F using this energy that we've it's, developed. Yeah. Momentum is a very real thing in life. Okay. And you have to recognize it. Uh-huh. And trust me, I've been in lulls where I don't have it. Yeah. And I'm like, I am forcing it. Uh -huh. There is no forward momentum. <laughs> By the way, our call, where when we linked up for that first time, mm -hmm. there was a lot of conversations that I was having with like, should I collaborate? Should should we? Should we not? And thankfully, Kohan was, hey, let's meet. Yeah. And when that meeting happened, I knew there was a moment where, you know, the chemical reaction is in motion. Yeah. You know, there's a catalyst that's at Go for it. Mm -hmm. if, if you're like strike now, there was this six month window. I call Prashant. I go, if we don't pitch something by this Thanksgiving, it's May. The special came yeah. out by like later that year, won a Peabody. I was like, if we don't pitch something by this Thanksgiving, this opportunity is going to pass us by the holidays. Uh -huh. People will move on to like the next kind of hot right. comic. And I was pitching him my next one man show. And he goes, no, that's a show. That's a series. Mm -hmm. You storytelling and breaking down a topic. Mm -hmm. He's like, different political topics that is an act each of these acts is actually an episode okay and we then linked up again this was our third or fourth collaboration we had done congressional correspondence dinner together we had done white house correspondence dinner together and he had helped punch up parts of homecoming king that were weak okay there was a couple weak spots in it and mm -hmm. he was that friend that was like bro cut that that yeah. shit is whack and i was like let's link up and do this and okay we, we just we did created it we, Patriot Act. we created we we uh this is crazy. I took my life savings at that time. I asked Bina, I asked my wife, can I put up my bag, our mm. bag, mm -hmm. collective bag, and can I shoot this proof of concept? Wow. It was all of our savings at that point. I feel like if I do this, I can get a deal. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And she agreed. I cannot believe this. Like, I cannot believe she agreed to this. There was a studio on 34th and 8th for Al Jazeera America. It went out of business. Mm -hmm. So the studio was available. This is on some like immigrant brown paper bag shit. Called them up. Give me a rental fee. Called up Mark Janowitz, who was the stage designer for Homecoming King. Can you build me as a set mm -hmm. to go in the old Al Jazeera offices? I'm going to do a proof of concept. Damn. Then I sat down with Prashant. We wrote an entire episode. Uh-huh. Like, let's, let's put our backs against the wall. Let's write an episode of this. Then I called up a third party like graphics company called Slanted Studios. Mm -hmm. Yo, will you do the graphic design for this and do the creative direction for it? Like wow. just on some PayPal brown paper bag shit. Like, uh -huh. yo, the, the the currency hit like did the wire hit? Cool. Did the wire hit? Cool. Did the wire hit? Cool. Like we got a team. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Just you made a whole episode. Yeah. Whoa. Filmed it and then edited it together. Uh -huh. It was twenty seven minutes. And then made a little 90 second sizzle because I was like, who, maybe there's going to be people that won't want, want to watch yeah. the 27 minutes. And then flew to Hollywood mm -hmm. and set up a series of meetings. Mm -hmm. And did you meet a whole bunch of studios about it? A whole it? bunch of buyers. Yeah. And Netflix was the most excited. Wow. And the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. So that was it. It was that, you know, like. There's two things I want to ask. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. When you finished the White House Correspondence Dinner. Yeah. But you didn't do it yet. You finished it in your room. Did you know this is a home run? Like, this is special. You mean when I'm in my hotel room and I'm yeah. about to go down yep. and do it? Yeah. 
yeah, I had done a hundred sets at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I had put everything I could into it. And you knew this was it. Like, you know, you were going to crush with I this. Didn't, the I didn't, audience is weird though, right? In I the didn't White House. know it was going to, I didn't know it was going to connect. Uh-huh. What I knew is that it's like every part of me, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I tried my hardest. Yeah. You know That's what all I mean? that matters. Yeah. yeah. And then you can deliver it that way. That's yeah. the important thing. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know what I mean? I called every other comic friend that I knew, every Jedi, Neil Brennan, John Mulaney, Mike Birbiglia. I called them, like, help me with, like, can you look at these jokes? Then uh-huh. I've worked with a bunch of writers that I had worked with at The Daily Show. Like, I really took it seriously. Yeah. Prashanth flew in and then just lived in my apartment. Uh-huh. So while I'm working at The Daily Show, he's at my apartment, and then he would come to the offices, and we would just stay late at night mm-hmm. working on the set. Then we'd go down to the comedy cellar and just run it seven times. Then really? We, yeah, then come back, listen to the audio till like one or two in the morning, make tweaks, then the next day, go do another five to six sets. Is, that how, listen, it, is yeah. that how that works? Yeah. You ran bits of it at live comedy shows? Yes, yes. And then tweaked it? And then stitched them all together. Oh my God. Yeah. So I had done it like a hundred. So vetted. So well vetted. Yeah. 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 I could see, oh, nobody knows who this person is. Oh, so this will work in the room, but it's going to not work on the internet. Yeah. Oh, everybody knows who this person is. This is going to work on the internet, but it's maybe not going to work in the Mm -hmm. room. Yeah. So I had figured out that perfect alchemy by the time we had gotten there. And then shout outs to Steve Bodo. He was the showrunner at the Daily Show at the time. He gave me just the elder statesman gut check. Uh-huh. A lot of times when you're just like a young 30 something year old buck, like the thing I don't have is wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, you need a naive check Yeah. of like, no, you just can't say that. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. A lot of times there's just like, like sit down, <laughs> sit down here. Yeah. <laughs> you'll make these grand proclamations mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. stage and I'm like, I don't want to sound like a child. Yeah. And then Steve gave me the Rick Rubin note. He wasn't a producer. He was a reducer. Cut that, cut that, cut uh-huh. that. And those last few cuts at the very end, you know, made nice. the speech that me and Prashant wrote with the other writers just, it was bespoke to my skill set. Yeah, yeah. You know? What a collaboration. Yeah. Now, I can't guarantee that it's going to work. Uh-huh. Just like right now, I can't guarantee if what we just collaborated on is going to pop or translate. Mm-hmm. I just know that I put everything of my story that I possibly could into it. Yeah. You yep, know what I you mean? Packed it in, yeah. Yeah, all the archival and then you stuff, had the story. Us to like help with the reduction and the editing and everything. Correct. Yeah. Correct. After that, there's not much more. Mm-hmm. You know, I was it the it. same with the Netflix pilot you made? Yes. Like you felt like this is as good. Like everything I put into this yeah. is like here. So like risk appetite, life savings. There's yeah. no, there's no more I could put into that. <laughs> um, skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, shout outs to Nassim Taleb. He's like a great writer. I love skin in the game actually being like, nope, I will show you. Yeah. I'm not going to pitch you. I will show you. Just hit play. Mm-hmm. That's my proposition. Hit play. Are you in or are you out? Yeah. Like, what will it look like? What will it feel like? How will you execute it? Mm-hmm. Eh, just hit play on the quick time, please. Right. Some like, I love the big, big energy of that move. Uh huh. Do you know, just All press, in. Just press yeah. play. Yep. All the chips are in. Yeah. This not, isn't the three minute like no, concept thing. No, 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 thing, no. But... Here's like the, the deck. Imagine feel this. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> feel it. Touch it. Here it is. There's something about that, you uh-huh. know? And then again, like execution. Mm-hmm. I had done my comedy undergrad degree at that point, you know, four or five years at, at yeah. the Daily Show. Like I know how to do a field piece. Mm-hmm. I know how to stitch together an act, yeah. you know, like it was, it was just the culmination of all those things. And then I felt like 
window of opportunity is there's an urgency there's a clock ticking now yeah, yeah. and is are they primed to be receptive to this thing at this time and people right. were mm-hmm. you know it was how much of it was the product like what percentage of you getting that deal was the actual product and the timing i would say 50-50 right i would say maybe even 60-40 like if you served up the same quick time the following april no wow no so timing meant a lot. Timing was everything. Because you, because yeah. of those two things, you were getting white hot. Yeah, and had I done it a year before, it also wouldn't have been bought. They right. would have been like, cool, no. Damn. Yeah. Leverage is real, man. Leverage is a very real thing. You have to figure out when are you wanted more than, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. When do they need you more than you, you need, need them. them? Yeah. When it's in a 51, I want mm-hmm. Jeff. Mm-hmm. And 49, Jeff's like, nah, I ain't feeling you that much. That's where you want to be. That's yeah. where you want to be. Right. You know, and it's also very disappointing to hear that it's not just about how good the product is. No. <laughs> it's sad. No. It's like... <laughs> no, man. Like, there's a comic right now who's creating so much amazing shit, right? Amazing shit and leverage for himself right now. Because, but he's he's making himself white hot, and then he'll be able to get whatever he wants in the industry. There's a comic named Andrew Schultz in New York who's doing great work. He is creating like white hot energy in the streets. Mm. Buyers are going to come. Yeah. He's creating that situation Mm -hmm. and it's going to happen, you know? Um, But you can't, you can't put the cart before the horse in that situation. Yeah. You know? And so um, he's going to get to a point where everybody's going to be 51, 49 or Mm -hmm. 64. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be a beautiful thing to see. Word. Yeah. Three important things Hassan brings up here. Timing, momentum, and leverage. Numerous guests on this show have said it before. Luck doesn't just happen. Hard work combined with timing makes you look lucky. And then the opportunities come. And once opportunities arrive, you start to gain momentum. Now, it's what you do with all this momentum that will steer your next move. Hassan says... Momentum is a very real thing in life, and you have to trust it. There's no forward momentum. I repeat, there is no naturally occurring forward momentum. It's like riding a bike on a long, winding road, and eventually you approach a hill. Now you have a choice to make. You could either go back down the winding road or choose to overcome the challenge in front of you and reap the rewards on the other side of the hill. Now, Once you've seized that opportunity and you start cruising, that's when you have to start to understand leverage. As Hassan says, you have to figure out when do they need you more than you need them. More often than not on this podcast, our guests have discussed how they've achieved success. What did XYZ creator work through to make it? But Hassan here is advising us not only on how he achieved his success, but what he did with it after he achieved it. Because the journey doesn't stop at the top of the hill. You have to navigate the entire ride down the hill and then use that momentum for the inevitable next challenge. And that might be the most important part, right? What do you do with all your success? How do you maintain it? Because the truth is, hard work doesn't stop once you've hit the goal. That's really only the beginning. So why did you feel like it was time, it was the right time, the right momentum for you to dabble in product? Like, 
there's not a lot of comedians that yeah. get shoe deals. You know, yeah. you grew up you grew up a sneakerhead, and yeah. I know just by watching the show yeah. and your footwear selection that shoes matter to you. Yeah. I don't know how I mean, do you consider yourself like a hardcore sneakerhead? I only own this will be a lot to, you know, people that don't collect shoes. I only own honestly not like thirty pairs, mm-hmm. forty pairs. At most I've never had more than 20 pairs actually okay. doing the show gave me the most amount of shoes because I had to wear a new pair every episode Yeah, but because I had an, a small apartment in New York I never had more than like 10 pairs of shoes ever mm-hmm. you know um, but I always loved product like I always loved the way stuff comes together and brands and stuff like that yeah, yeah. yeah. I could like Prashanth will tell me this all the time I can quote back commercials to him Uh huh. like you know Gatorade drink them up you know like yeah, yeah. little things like that and like you know, a Charles Barkley Nike commercial. I can just recount all these things, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there are scriptures, unfortunately, yeah. for better or for worse, but they are. Even yeah. like deodorant commercials <laughs> but with Scottie Pippen and Charles Barkley, like for Right Guard, anything less would be uncivilized. Oh, like, yeah. Little things that like one. that. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I could deliver the pacing of it, uh-huh. all that stuff. And I was like, why did that mean so much to me? And it just captured this moment in time. Um and it told a story. It wasn't even about the product, yeah. you know. Just it was just just Barkley being really funny, yep. or Scottie Pippen being like, you know, like a cheetah, and you know, yeah. and that was in the ad, you know. And um, I was like, I like creating, and I believe I'm a, I'm. How do I say this? I think one of my skill sets is visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of comics that it's just about the words. It's yeah. just about the writing. Or they'll do a comedy special and it's them with a microphone and then just a color drape behind them. Right. To me, I really love graphic design and mm-hmm. motion design. Yep. And it, this seemed like a really cool opportunity mm-hmm. to be artistic yeah. with the help of somebody like yourself that's done it before. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, I, I, don't, I don't want a big baller brand situation <laughs> where there's this massive gap of like, okay, you don't know design or product or how to, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned them, but it's it's evident when there's like a missing design expert in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not like design experts are like impossible to find. Like you obviously sunk a shit ton of money in this. You couldn't just hire like a creative director, you know? Right. Um, But Cole Haan, I thought it was really interesting that like, you know, you think about MJ who had like his UNC shorts on every night as a bull. Right. Cole Hahn was kind of like your lucky charm throughout your career. Yeah. 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 Talk about some of those moments that like. So when you're a comic, like, or you're somebody like me, again, it, I own sneakers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was, it was Nikes and yeah. stuff like that. Jordans. When I needed to get a pair of dress shoes to audition for The Daily Show, the only dress shoes that are like really comfortable mm-hmm. are Cole Hans. Yeah. And all my friends that were that actually had quote unquote made it. What I mean by that is that they actually had real jobs with yeah. health insurance. They wore suits. They wore suits <laughs> and they would wear Kohans. They're like, yo, 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 get a pair of Kohans. Yeah. Don't get like six hundred dollar whatever whatevers. Right. Just get a pair of Kohans. You'll 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 stay in your lane. You'll look good. It'll match the suit that mm-hmm. you're wearing, and they'll be really comfortable. You'll you could wear them every day. Right. So when I got to screen test, I just went to the store and I bought them. They looked the most comfortable. There was a little orange lining in the middle where I was like, oh, this this actually looks like like kind of like an athletic insole. Yeah. Oh, I could fuck with this. Uh-huh. I wore them. The audition went great. Yep. And I just started wearing them anytime I needed to wear a suit. And just because of the nature of the show, oh, shit, I'll see you on Monday. I got to work at The Daily Show starting on Monday. All right, you're doing a field piece next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to fly to Utah to shoot a field piece. Mm-hmm. I need dress shoes because I'm wearing it. Oh, shit, I already have these. Yeah. So I, I just 
They were the go-tos. Yeah, I started making all these memories in this pair of black cap-toe Oxfords and just the patina of making those memories yeah. and taking those swings. It was just a part of my life. And so when Kohan reached out and they wanted to do a collaboration, part of me was also like, hey, honor something that is authentic to your DNA. Bro, you're not an athletic guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like as much as you would want to do. <laughs> a Jordan you, one. Oh like. yeah, a Jordan whatever. <laughs> like you're not Nigel Sylvester. You're not, a, you're, you're, you are not an athlete. <laughs> but what you are is like you have rocked this brand mm -hmm. and a lot of people that are kind of like you yeah. wear this brand. Yeah. They wear like the friends, Hit Squad, the friends that I grew up with uh -huh. every day, it's cool. wear Kohan yeah. to work. Yeah. Like they wear it to work. They wear it on the subway. They wear it on the Muni. Yep. Like it is part of their rotation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of your fans, people in the audience are also Kohan wearers. My brother-in-law wears Kohans. Uh -huh. Like he's not a sneakerhead, but he wears right. Kohans. And I'm like, why? He actually wears this, the shoe that you're wearing. Oh, nice. And he's just like, it's comfortable. Yeah. And it looks like something I can wear at the office, but I can kind of run to the to the train right. station in them and yeah. the function of it actually authentically matches my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Did you wear them to the White House Correspondents Center? Yes. The same one that you wore to yeah. the interview of the Daily Show. Yeah, I just we just kind of shined them up. Why didn't you ever just get a fresh pair? <laughs> Dude, it's superstition, is it, that what it is? It's a little bit of that and it's also, it's so crazy that like still to this day, I'm like, dude, there's actually a lot of money for a dress <laughs> And I'm like, do you, do you even wear dress shoes? <laughs> I still have that in the back of my mind, even though I wear suits all the time. Uh -huh. Like anytime I do late night, anytime I do Colbert or Fallon, I'll, a lot of times I'll wear a suit. I'll, yeah. I'll have to do like black tie events. And it's it's one of those things where you ever have a pair of jeans that you just love? Yeah, of course. They feel right. Uh -huh. The taper, Yeah. the waist. I think dress shoes are kind of like that yeah. because I don't know a ton, but when you start going down the rabbit hole, of the different types of dress shoes, mm -hmm. penny loafers, capto oxfords. Then there's yeah. different things called like B U L C H E R S. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Bullshare Bull or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brogues. And yeah. yeah. Bro yeah. Wingtips. Yep. There is a sophistication to it mm -hmm. that like Nick Wooster knows, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And the simplicity of the one that I had that works with my charcoal suit. Uh -huh. I'm like, I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, there's something to be said when there's a critical moment, like an interview or like an audition or something. Yeah. Like, you don't think of yourself as an athlete, but if there's like one thing off, yeah, it can throw off the whole game and the performance. So you just want to go to what has worked, what you know you'll flow with, right? Yeah. There's a flow to it yeah. where there's a certain black belt that I wear, mm -hmm. there's a dress shoe that I wear, and then I have like four different white dress shirts. Uh-huh. They just fit right. They, right. Like when I put them on, they fit right. When I stretch my elbows back, yeah. the buttons won't stretch out. Right. And it has nothing to do with brand. It just has the, it has to do with the way it fits on my body. Right. You know, the, yeah. the actual like functionality of it. Yeah. You know, totally. And yeah. when you feel good, you know, you look good and then you will you, act good. Yeah. You play good. And yeah, then, exactly. And then, and then they pay good. Yeah. <laughs> shout out, shout out to Deion Sanders. <laughs> what did you learn from this, uh, first sort of like product design project in your life? You know, as of right now, I don't know how it's going to translate. Right. I don't know how people are going to accept it, you know? But the thing that I love about it right now is that, oh, wow, pitch, take, and perspective, those things that I learned and that I've been doing for the past 16 years, mm -hmm. but I really have been refining over the past 10, still matters even in this. Mm. Like we've been on so many creative calls 
And so much of what ended up making it into the shoe and that what everyone's going to see came from stuff that I pitched. Yeah. This is my take. This yep. is my perspective. Mm -hmm. Here's my pitch. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I learned. Yeah. Like I remember in those early meetings, you were trying to swing in lots of different, you were just trying to throw us ideas and like yeah. inspirations and everything. Yeah. And was think, that good? Yeah. Because I think our job was really to take almost like a chef saying like, here's all the ingredients and now make an incredible dish out of this. Right. You know, and obviously some things don't always make it. And actually the opposite happened where some things that we edited out in the beginning made it in at the very end. Later. Like you, you remember the, the CHM logo? Yeah. That was an early logo that was nixed. Yeah. And I think we should actually talk about the first version right. that we were, you and I were dialed in yes. on the Urdu. Yes. Right. So, so there was, talk about the Urdu first yeah. of all. Like for those who don't know what Urdu is, yeah, talk so, about that. So Urdu is a language from the South Asian subcontinent, which is a hybrid of like Hindi and Farsi and Sanskrit. It's a kind of a this hybrid language, but Urdu in the text is the same as Arabic, which mm -hmm. is a holy language. And the Quran, yep. the Quran is written in Arabic. And typographically, so, it's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. It's beautiful. So calligraphy is a is artistically, you know, for the Arab world and for the Muslim world, calligraphy is an art form. Mm -hmm. So the way letters are written is is a really big deal. Whereas if you like look at really great Italian or Renaissance art, the actual human body is yeah. is the art itself. Calligraphy is that yeah. in Islamic architecture right. and Muslim art, right? So one of the things that I loved is I loved the way it looked and I wanted to kind of, I loved the idea of putting like our name, my name into a shoe, mm -hmm. which to me, for me, a shoe is the highest symbol of, yo, you made it. Yeah. Like for 15-year-old Hassan, the fact that your name Hassan could be written into a shoe mm -hmm. is it's, such a it's dope goat, thing. It's a goat moment. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool thing. However, historically and culturally, what a shoe represents in other parts of the world can be a very disrespectful thing. Mm -hmm. Like you don't put shoes on top of books. Yeah. Books hold knowledge. So mm -hmm. like in the Asian subcontinent, you don't do that. Yeah. Um, in Hindu tradition, if you like, you know, drop a book or you put it on the ground or you, you kind of touch the book and you touch your head. You you show respect because books hold. It shouldn't touch the ground. Yeah, yeah your yeah. feet shouldn't touch a book right. ever. Like, and no, also like a, like they throw shoes at people when you want to like yeah, diss them hard. Yeah, the shout outs to George W. Bush, that yeah. dude who threw a shoe. Right. You, you lie, boom, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and like, yeah. you know, W had some like, you know, he had some really <laughs> juke good, moves. Yeah, yeah. He juked, and then in Japanese yeah. culture, shoes come off before you enter the house. Correct. So like shoes are like a dirty maybe even evil thing in some societies. Yeah, yeah. It, it it just, it touches dirt and it does not have a kind of clean or holy connotation. Uh -huh. My name, you know, is kind of a sacred name. Hassan is a sacred name in, in Islam, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so the thing that I, I was... I was afraid of was, was I going to pull a Nike air bacon controversy? Mm -hmm. So anybody who grew up like in the nineties, there was these, these shoes called the Nike air bacon and they wrote Allah in fire yeah. <laughs> in Arabic on a Nike shoe, Oops. like, which is like, which is like the levels, you know, yeah, on a uh, shoe, on a shoe. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so there was a lot of controversy around that. And one of the things that I wanted to do is like, I was like, I don't want to take away from the larger message yeah. of what I'm actually trying to communicate here. Right. What I'm trying to do is tell my family story and these influences and put it into a collaboration and a mm -hmm. shoe. And right. so I was like, Hey, maybe, you know, again, in Islamic art, they put it, it's, it's been on necklaces, clothes, jewelry. There's another way I can kind of do 
that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's for another collaboration yeah. and another project. But for me, um, I felt like, hey, you don't want to. It's part of the design process yeah. because we had already sampled like a couple of rounds where it totally. said Hassan in Urdu, beautifully done. Yeah. We were probably 65 to 75% done. Yes. And I remember you called me quite late one night at home. Yeah. And like, so did like, were you like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to pull. I'm going to have to like pull the plug on this right now. Yeah, man. And I could I could hear like the the tone in your voice. You're like, fuck, 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 fuck. fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, man. Yeah. yeah. So you know how there's critical windows where like this could be a good thing? Uh-huh. Then there's critical windows where you're like, so my feet were leaving. David Bowie. Yeah. Back to the David shallow, Bowie. Yeah, yeah. And we're going into the deep end. And I'm like, this is the deep end in a wrong way. Yeah. This yeah. is the mega deep yeah. end. And there's like a vortex yeah. like, at the end of yeah. it. Yeah. So like my dad, my dad did a couple swings today in our shoot where he did some kind of like quasi misogynistic jokes where I'm like, yo, cut that. <laughs> like I'm, you're going into the deep end, but it ain't worth, yeah. it ain't worth the damage that you you could potentially incur. Right. Go into the deep end if it's worth the damage, mm-hmm. which I've done gladly pissing yeah. off autocrats and dictators. I've done a uh-huh. ton in my career. This ain't worth it. That yeah. fight ain't worth it. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally. Uh, I've always wanted to push it. I've never considered myself to be a provocateur. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I called you, I was like, this is actually outside of my pay grade because <laughs> shit is being like manufactured overseas. Yep. I don't know what this Where, even means. It's like, psh, psh, yeah. psh, like there's yeah. like a stamp going with this with Hudson yeah. right now. Yeah. Is it on a boat? Like, is it over here? <laughs> uh-huh, is it in uh-huh. a store? I don't I have no clue. And yeah. so one of the things that I had to do is, and this has been a skill set that I've learned too, is that when you know something isn't working, mm-hmm. be decisive and move quickly. Yeah. And so I called you and shout outs mm-hmm. to you. You actually stayed so calm and collected and in the pocket. Mm-hmm. I was like, I thought you were going to potentially lose it and be like, what the fuck? Well, how, I could, was like, how could we talk about this for months? And first you- thing I had to do was talk to the guy who would know the answer of where they are in the factory line. Like, yeah. are they on the boat? Are they at the dock? Or have has the stamp not hit the shoe yet? You know, yeah. so I needed to get that answer first before I lost my shit. Yeah. And then I could understand the options. Turns out it didn't get hit yet. The logo hadn't hit yet. And then I remember I told you and you're like, okay, I need to call the 36 chambers of Muslim inner circle that you have. You're like, I got to call Malaysia. I got to call like India. I got to like, hit them internet. Yeah. You, yeah. you was, was it the hit squad? Yeah. <laughs> I called hit squad too. I called different various degrees of religiosity right, too of right. like, yo, you're somewhat, you're Muslim ish and like you're super Muslim. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Like, and just get the full spectrum and that was really good. I went into the 36 chambers yeah. and I got the answer. Right. And I was like, okay, got it. I I just got consensus on, again, I'm totally for saying whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Do you want to live with the repercussions of that? Is this the right swing? Yeah. Is this the that? fight? It ain't the fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not even worth it. Right. Like, um, and you have to be respectful to people and what they really believe in as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I would never desecrate the name of like a Christian saint. Like it just wouldn't yeah. be worth it to me. Right. You know what I mean? That's right. never been my thing. Yeah. And so once I got that answer, then the interesting thing again was working with you on problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, how do we create a new logo? And then yeah. we went through this, all this legalese stuff. Yeah. Um, but I also want to shout out the Cole Han team. Who was the guy on the team who was like, we will solve this. Don't worry. Scott Pat. Scott. Shout out to Scott. Yep. Scott was just like. Level-headed. Nobody worried. Yeah. He was stoic about it. You know, we will get through this. We will solve this. No worries. Yep. It was great. Yeah. And then actually, one of the early logos that we eliminated 
came back for this final logo, yeah. remorphed. Yeah. And actually, I think this is the great thing about design. Design is actually all about problem solving. And to do like, oh, it looked a little long with like Cole Han, Hassan Minhaj, like it's mad letters. Yeah. But actually, Cole Han is a CH logo. Yeah. Hassan Minhaj is an HM H-M, logo. So yeah. if it's just CHM, yeah. light bulb moment. And it kind of just locked in. Yeah, together. locked yeah. in. Yep. Yeah. That's the great thing about this whole story. But you know what? If you look, my, my whole thing is like, we talk about vibe, flow, and osmosis, right? And like the DNA that goes into the final product. So someone who looks at that, who's going to go to a department store, pick that up and look at the CHM logo, they're going to be like, they might not even actually say that's nice, well done. Yeah. It just won't, they won't be like, ill. Yeah. You know, they'll just be like, Oh, these are dope, you know? Yeah. But there's volumes of stories that went into it. And to me, whether they know the volume or not, it doesn't matter. Right. It's embedded into it. It's in there. And if you want to dig, if you want to listen to this podcast, if you want to watch the video, it's it's there for you to understand it. But it doesn't matter. It's it's built into there. It's like in the minestrone. It's like oozed in there, you know? Yeah. And I love that about design. Yeah. And that level of kind of detail also prevents you from having regrets. Mm-hmm. When people are like, "Do you wish you would have changed the suede or the new buck here?" Right. You're like, "No, yeah, because I tried every single alt." <laughs> exactly. This is the seventh alt of yeah, this. Yeah, but just like with jokes, uh-huh. when someone's like, "Are you happy with that act?" Where you're like, "Yeah, I've done this set maybe three hundred times. I've iterated it every which way." Yeah, that joke lives or it dies, right. and I have no regrets behind it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and that is a good feeling to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where where are you at right now? in life. You you're at this pivotal point where Patriot Act is, is no longer. Yeah. You're now venturing into a product release very yes. soon. Yeah. What does twenty twenty one look like for you? We just are in this global pandemic. We're in this heated, like essentially a race war at this point right now. Right. You know? And we're in this sort of election year as well where I feel like you had the platform to be able to really like speak on this and now yeah. I think there's a lot, of, I'm trying to say this politically correct, but like some people think like you were muzzled now. Uh-huh. You couldn't, this was your chance. Like you could have said shit. You right, know? right. This was your moment. Where do you see back half of 2020 and 2021 look like for you? For me, man, it's like understanding and embracing the unknown is the is the thing that I think we're all dealing with. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of the things that it's it's been so tough to deal with during the pandemic is how do you make plans? Yeah. So much of the creative process is about looking to the future and being like, yeah, in April, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And that allows so many things to happen. You, If you can make plans, that means you can, people can commit to things. Yep. I'll be there. I'll be there. Cash can ex- exchange hands. Shoots yeah. can happen. Yeah. People can get on planes. Mm-hmm. Like the wheel is greased in such a way that allows forward momentum and progress to happen. Remember how I talked about momentum earlier? Yeah. Being able to make plans and having everybody commit to them mm-hmm. is a big thing. And so I've been trying to figure out, hey, what are the next moves that we can do? And Prashant and I, we've kind of built a studio at my house now, and we're cooking up what the next iteration will be. Uh-huh. But I think there's going to be two big things that determine that. I think the tenor and the temperature of where the country will be November 4th mm-hmm. will be very interesting. I yeah. think that will shape art in a way the same way 2016 did, mm-hmm. you know, comedians, storytellers like myself speak to the times. So I'm very interested to see the way that will go November 3rd and then the following day. And then I think the way the world and frankly our country responds to coronavirus determines how my next one-man show goes, how touring goes. This huge part of who I am performing in front of people. Right. It's a part of who I am. Yeah. Is no more. 
and how we get back to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. th- those are the things is how do I continue to storytell in a world where you can't make plans? Seriously. The, the, that's the biggest difference is like we're so used to this quarterly, biannually, like sort of range of planning, you know, like four months out, six months out. Corona has literally shrunken that to weeks. Yeah. Like two weeks. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen in three, like three weeks from now, like the earth could fall off a cliff. Like you have no idea at this point. And so there's all, for me, there's also all these balls being juggled in the air and they're just all in the air at the same time and nothing is landing because they're not able to land. Yeah. That's the, that's the biggest difference. I don't know how to make sense of that because anything that is deep or meaningful Mm -hmm. takes time. Takes time. Dude, you, this is a vibe. This is the fucking vibe. <laughs> this thing that's going to come out, our shoe, our collaboration that's going to come out in October and November has been a year plus in the making. Yeah. So you were only able to do that because all the parties involved were able to move forward with confidence. And commit. I could move forward with confidence. Staple could move forward mm-hmm. with con- confidence. Cole Hunt could. We could yeah. all move forward with confidence. Yep. The gears are grinding to a halt. Mm-hmm. And it takes perseverance to keep pushing this train forward. Yeah. I remember when I called you once, you were like, yo, we're getting samples in, you know, hang hang tight. It's, there's been a little bit of delay. You're like, I'm surprised they didn't force majority of this shit. And it's like that. You said, you, yeah. you said that. You said, I thought they did this for sure. Yeah. I mean- in March, when everything went down yeah. this year, I was like, "Oh, I thought they'd fo- they'd force majeure the contract. Yeah. They'd just be like shoes. I'm Global not worried pandemic, about shoes. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're making hazmat suits. We don't make shoes anymore. Yeah, you know. And that takes what a, it takes an army to push this train forward. It yeah. takes a ton of will. And so the the biggest thing that I'm figuring out, I'd actually love your answer on this. If you're currently writing or sketching something right now, Jeff, mm-hmm. are you blue skying it, or are you like, no, 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 let me write to the color of the sky right now and we're in California so mm-hmm. it's like orange and gray <laughs> but for real blue sky I'm blue skying blue skying yeah so if you're gonna write a movie you're gonna write the fucking crazy movie because you're yeah. like the world will return to normal yeah yep. and is, is that like blindly optimistic I think that's great I just I, I'm not writing to the limitations of where we're at now so I guess I'm, I'm an optimist that I'm hopeful things will come back to normal people will have hope and people will want great stories, great products, great items, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't want to shortchange myself. It's always like, to me, like being growing up in New York, like the New York Knicks, like I feel like the Knicks always play to their competition. Yeah. Like, oh, this team sucks, so we're going to play sucky tonight. Yeah. And like yeah. the environment sucks right now. The global, you know, like whole situation Got sucks. It. I'm not going to design to that. I feel, exactly. Like that actually speaks to me because people are like, just do Zoom podcasts. Yeah. I'm like, no, I love creating visual stories. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do a Zoom interview. Yeah, like I hate doing that. Right. You know, I've done them, mm-hmm. but I hate doing them. Yep. You know, and I think it's important to try them to be like, sure. okay, I've tried. That wasn't for me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. This Dude, is good. this is great, man. Yeah. So October fifteenth, man. Yep. October. Uh, actually, I think it's November and December now. Oh, it's November, Sorry, COVID, December. Little, one month delay. Sure, sure. <laughs> but sure. yeah, this is gonna be your first shoe, and yeah. uh, yo, we we we're gonna miss you on on the TV and you telling your message. So I hope you and Prashant are like figuring out how to like tell that story next year. Yeah, we're up to something. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. We're staying tuned. All right, man. All right. Later. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for listening to this very special comeback episode of The Business of Hype with the one and only Hassan Minhaj. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And also, if you can, leave a rating and comment to tell us what you think of the show. And also, if you have any friends interested in show business, comedy, or footwear design, tell them about this episode. I think they're going to appreciate it. You can always reach out to me with questions and comments about the show on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jeff Staple. Our associate producer is Christina Hong. And as always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. This episode was recorded in person woohoo! in Sacramento, California, in a COVID-free bubble thanks to the good people at Cole Han. Getting that swab shoved up my nose, though, that was not fun. But for real people, this is no joke. Our numbers are skyrocketing, so keep wearing a mask, keep socially distancing, and let's get through this together. Be safe out there. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is the Business of Hype on Hype Beast Radio.